Functional Podcast. I'm your host, Naudi Aguilar, and uh, I'm gonna. Tr- it's, it's, we're doing it a little bit earlier today, uh, just so I can not throw my circadian rhythm too far off. Um, so I got a little baby fire going here. Otherwise, I'm going to be sweating up a storm even worse than the last one because it's actually kind of humid and hot today. But what the hell? We'll, we'll play by ear and see where this goes. Um, this is one of the challenges of doing a podcast in the way that I do it because I'm doing it outdoors. Um, I think it's, uh, it's useful to do it outdoors in the sense of what it does for my physiology. It just provides a lot of distractions and a lot of things that I have to balance while I'm trying to, uh, articulate a message coherently. So, um, as you guys probably may or may not notice, I struggle with it a little bit. Um, what I'm it's, it's difficult to communicate what I see in reality because I don't fully don't even understand it. And quite honestly, words as tools just aren't adequate enough to explain what we experience on a day-to-day phenomenon uh, on a daily day basis in terms of like the phenomena that we, that we experience uh, language isn't always the best tool to articulate what's there. And maybe there is a language and I just don't know that language or, and maybe it needs to be explained mathematically or something like that. But, uh, I do the best that I can and these fires don't really help. But what I will say is that, um, they kind of, this fire right here again, counters the counters, the blue light that I'm getting exposed to there. And, um, I thought about getting a, a studio and maybe like retrofitting the lighting systems in there to make it more compatible. But, uh, I'd rather just be outdoors if I'm going to be doing this stuff. So, um, yeah, last week was an interesting podcast. We got a great response from it. Lots of questions uh, from quite a few different people. Uh, It's great to see people uh, taking interest in what we have to do. I I think a lot of what I talk about still right now is a bit highbrow. And what I mean by highbrow is that uh, it requires a certain level of experience um, doing functional patterns to, to really like understand a lot of the subject matter that I'm talking about. I know many of you probably come onto this podcast hoping that I just strictly talk about fitness and whatnot. Um, the, the fitness that I employ is a byproduct of the way that I think, and I think it's important that other people understand how I think. Because if you understand how I think, then the odds are you'll probably be able to duplicate the same results that I get, um, whether it's through training or whether it's just through becoming more, I guess, coherent in life. Uh, being disciplined and whatnot. Um, so yeah, m- my objective is to try and just talk about what I've deemed to be most useful, but never mind that I, I answer questions that, um, tend to be, end up being highbrow because the community that I, uh, serve seems to be a, a, a little more advanced. Uh, fortunately for this podcast, we got, we got a few questions from people that from the Instagram and from the YouTube that, um, will hopefully bring about some, uh, some dialogue that will be kind of uh, relatable even to average Joes who don't train functional patterns or who are on the fence about wanting to jump into this uh, method of living. So um, I guess without further ado, what, 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 where are we going to start this one with, Pablo? I know we had talked about it. You know, the last podcast you were talking about the changes of your body and a little bit of pain. But one question that popped up is, I guess people are saying that you are on TRT. They're not saying I'm on TRT. Somebody just... This is the thing. Um, I'm not on TRT, guys. I'm not like a big freaking buff dude or whatever. Um, I'm not on TRT. Uh, I'm, I'm, the funny thing is when that – I had already been telling people that were around me. I'm like, you already know that once I get leaner and, I, and I'm able to like regiment myself the way I need to to, to attain good health, that people are going to start saying, oh, now he's on steroids or something. He can't be doing it right or whatever. 
Um, and, and so I, I, I had already preemptively expected that people were going to say this. And so I t- kind of talked about the relationship between the brain and the, and the pituitary gland and the endocrine system on the last podcast. And so when somebody like, so I recorded the podcast and then, um, we, uh, then somebody like I had a couple people that wrote, Hey, now do you, there, there's rumors, uh, of people saying that you're on te- on testosterone replacement therapy now, um, uh, could you uh, could you speak on that? And I was like, yeah, you know, I already spoke on it. I didn't even have to like nobody even had to bring it up because I you know I, I had already I had already talked about it on the podcast. And so I said, you know what, tomorrow I'll address it on that day, whatever it was, uh, I'll address it on the next podcast. And so I thought I addressed it, but apparently, but in the comment sections, people said there was a few people that said, you know, uh, Naudi didn't talk about it at all. Well, I, I, th- I don't think that people got the, the, the message clearly. And this, I, I believe this is one of the most difficult aspects of life. Like, l- l- I'll give you guys an example before I get directly into this. Um, a long time ago, I would tell, I would tell uh, individuals that if you didn't want to program more dysfunctions onto your body, you, sh- you shouldn't revolve your training around the sagittal plane of motion. So if you're new to this and you're wondering, well, what's the sagittal plane of motion? Just think about like a squat, like if you're squatting up and down, if you're doing bicep curls, that would be a sagittal plane of motion exercise. If you're moving your arms up and down like this, that would be, I guess, sagittal and longitudinal. Um, but anything that's just involving both your legs kind of doing motions like this would be, was, would be what I classify as a sagittal plane exercise, at least for your legs. Um, anything that's going to be like transverse is going to involve like rotation of the hips, rotation of the trunk, things of that nature. And so I would tell people like as humans, we are contralateral reciprocators first that we're bipedal movers. And what I mean by that is just like when you walk, your body kind of begins to move in like X fashions. There's going to be X's that pop up in movement. Um, there's ipsilateral reciprocations on the body for sure, but there's, there's going to be like this rotational component involved in movement. And it, no matter what angle you look at movement, everything is a byproduct of a rotation, everything. Whether you're looking at it laterally or not, you could see rotation everywhere. And I could I'll maybe go into that in the future. But anyway, I was telling people that they shouldn't orient their training around the sagittal plane of motion because as humans, we like we're not kangaroos. We're, we're meant to train in uh, in in we're, we're meant to move our bodies in relation to um uh, we we're meant to move our bodies to move in all planes of motion. So it's up, down, uh, then side to side, forward, back, and then twisting. We're supposed to do that. And so when I would tell people that they wouldn't get, they wouldn't get the message. They'd be like, okay, uh, now you're talking about how I shouldn't train bilateral lifts and I shouldn't focus on the sagittal plane, whatever. I then go back. This is back in the day. This is like, I guess seven years ago, six years ago, I then tell people you shouldn't do deadlifts. You shouldn't prioritize your training around the deadlift, even though everybody says it's like the holy grail of exercises. Nowadays, nobody feels that way. But back in the day, like just a few years ago, everybody was like deadlifts, 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 deadlifts. More recently, it's been back squats, back squats, back squats, back squats. That's a hard thing to say multiple times in a row. But um, if, so when I would tell people don't do deadlifts, they'd be like, what? I was like, yeah, I told you, like the week before, I told you guys to avoid bilateral lifts and to avoid the sagittal, like prioritizing your training around the sagittal plane of motion. People were like, I was, I didn't get mad with that, but the second you said deadlifts, that's when I got mad. So like they didn't understand the, the concept of what I'm talking about. And what I try and do 
when I when I work with people or when I educate people is try and teach them the, the frame of thinking that I'm coming from. And nowadays it's easier to get people to understand what I'm talking about. But back in the day, it was real, real tough to do that. But even till this day, you still see like the 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 inability for people to understand the context of which I'm talking about. So going back to this testosterone replacement therapy, if I, if let's say, so the body has uh, two, uh, two bases of physiology, I guess you could say, I guess I'm, I'm not like, I'm, I'm not um, well versed in this anymore. You'd have to look at, um, you'd have to read why zebras don't get ulcers uh, to really get the specifics about this. But essentially we have uh, one branch of the what we call the autonomic nervous system, which is called the parasympathetic, and the other the sympathetic. Many people know about the, the, these two uh, th- these two aspects of our uh, autonomic nervous system. These two, I guess, spectrums. If I just learn how to relax, if I just learn how to chill out and switch off my anxiety, that automatically promotes p- a parasympathetic uh, function, which means that. Whenever I'm, whenever I'm in a parasympathetic state, I'm going to be in a rest and digest state. I'm going to be in a repair state where my muscles are going to want to like build and my body's going to be more inclined to metabolize body fat. And so long as I can control my brain, I should have the capacity to, uh, to produce testosterone endogenously. I shouldn't have to like inject like steroids into me or ingest testosterone in me when my, my my testicles testosterone testicles my testicles should be able to produce the testosterone that i need to maintain a good physique if i'm actually addressing my anxieties properly if i'm not and i'm all, all constantly on, in a state of stress or i'm always working out really hard and i'm pushing it constantly and i'm keeping myself in a catabolic fight or fl- fight or flight or sympathetic tone with within the 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 function of my autonomic nervous system then ultimately, that's going to lead me to not produce testosterone. And it's a, it might render me uh, dependent on, on something like, uh, like TRT. When I, when I brought up the fact that I, I thought I had already addressed this, what I wasn't accounting for is that I, I thought you guys would like be able to like kind of like put two and two together and say, you know, like, okay, now that you brought up the fact that the brain controls the hormones, and so long as the, 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 the mechanisms up here are working where they're supposed to and the mechanisms in the fascia and, and uh, if the, the body language is doing what it's supposed to, then the body will be able to reach a state of repair just simply by command from the brain. So if the brain tells the body to relax, to chill out because you, ha- because you as the organism have the capacity to tell your body to relax, you go to sleep and then your body produces testosterone. Your body should already have the, the capacity in like built into it. And so the way I live my life is around that principle. I make sure that anytime I'm thinking about um, doing something with my body, that I'm aiming to in- improve my, my ability to produce the hormones that I need that I'm supposed to produce endogenously. And now this is a difficult thing. Th- this is where it gets difficult. Let's say, for example... If you take digestive enzymes, there's people that take digestive enzymes. And one of my concerns for the longest time, I don't take digestive enzymes. I don't think you should. I don't think you need them. They say that as you get older, you stop producing less of the enzymes. I ask the question, why are you producing less of the enzymes? What, what's the mechanism that's preventing you from being able to produce enzymes, digestive enzymes better as you get older? And I would imagine that a lot of it probably has to relate to stress. But let's say you did decide to take digestive enzymes. 
would that would the taking of the digestive enzymes prevent your body from being able to um, from being able to uh, produce more digestive digestive enzymes without having to take more of them? And from what studies have shown, no. I, if you take digestive enzymes, your body doesn't start uh, stop um, producing digestive enzymes. It's like it just you take the digestive enzymes and whatever you produce, you produce. So I'm not against the digestive enzyme because of that. So if 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 I take testosterone exogenously, if I take it and somebody, I don't know how they do it. I don't know if you take it through capsules or if they inject it into you. I don't know how they do it. But if, if I take it like that and then I get off of the, the, the testosterone replacement therapy, my body's going to have a difficult time producing its own testosterone. And to me, that seems extremely impractical. What's the point of that? It doesn't make any sense to me to, to, to operate under that, uh, I guess frame of thinking. It's like if my body already knows how to produce testosterone and I can just trigger the body to create a parasympathetic response to produce the testosterone that I need to have like good functioning muscles and and uh, and a good functioning body, then I shouldn't have to take it exogenously. So I'm not on testosterone. Like I, it's like I, I know people probably got to be thinking, you know what? Uh, now these facial structure may be changing, whatever. Some of it could be aging, but I don't think it is because it's like these changes have happened within a matter of like six months that I've been making, like on my cranium and whatnot and on my mandible, uh, on my face. Um, so with that said, um, I'm not on TRT. So I, I know people are going to throw accusations at you. And at the end of the day, really what matters is what, what you know is the truth. And uh, I don't do that stuff, man. And it's not to say that I'm opposed to it. If somebody can find a way to, to make that stuff work to where you don't become dependent on it to produce your testosterone, dude, I'm not opposed to a TRT. I'm not opposed to anything. If, if you can find a functional use for crack cocaine, I, like, I have no qualms with that. It's just, and oftentimes, I, guar I guarantee, like, I've, 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 I've talked to some pretty well-known figures um, who said that, you know, cocaine isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world. Gee, that flame is getting big. But anyway, cocaine isn't the worst thing in the world. It's how much people are using it. Like, are you, are you using it or are you abusing it? And most of the time when people... Are you are 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 taking or ingesting cocaine? They're abusing the hell out of it. But might there be some physiological benefits, some awareness benefits from it? I would say yes. Uh, like um, if there's one, I experimented with marijuana for a while, and marijuana really taught me to be introspective about myself in a different way. I experimented with psychedelics momentarily, and uh, I, I got some some really good benefits from it. Uh, but I did it in in I did it in small dosages and I did it sparingly. But if you see how people use the substances that they do, they, they take a substance and they turn it into a crutch. And if you turn it into a crutch, now you have a problem because you're, you're instead of modifying your behavior towards the direction of function to produce what, whatever you're not to, to instead of changing your behavior to get your body to produce what it needs, you don't change your behavior and then you take something externally to compensate for the fact that your brain is not mechanized the way it's supposed to. As it relates to testosterone, you should be able to produce that on your own so long as your, your body understands how to repair. Um, there's a multitude of things I do to help with that, but biomechanics to me, like to me, if I want to relax and, and exude uh, and, and secrete high levels of testosterone, oftentimes what I do is I look at people who, um, like, I'll look at, like, certain wrestlers, and I'll, and I'll see, and I'll be like, man, that guy's a freaking, 
look like a freaking gorilla. He's just a beast. And I'll and I'll look at their uh, their demeanor. I look at how their their they hold their facial expression. I see how they hold their cervical spine, where it's positioned. I look at where their thoracic is at. I, obviously, I look at the, the dysfunctions of a lot of these super athletes as well. But um, what I do with biomechanics is is uh, copy the tendencies of people who produce lots of testosterone because I believe that to produce lots of testosterone, there's going to be uh, like a body language component of that component to that. If, if you're jittery with your movement all the time, you're going to be anxious and producing lots and lots of cortisol, which is going to be kind of like that. The cortisol is going to impede you from being able to produce testosterone. But if I can get myself to chill out and relax, if I get myself in front of a fire, for example, I'm not becoming dependent. Maybe I am dependent on fire. I don't know. Uh, but I don't think I am. I still get good sleep without fire. But if I can get myself in front of fire and the fire can slow down my nonverbal communication, my my body will be much more apt to produce testosterone. So on my end, I tend to be very reliant upon having good biomechanics or nonverbal communication to uh, help me produce more testosterone. And the sharper and more fine-tuned I am with fixing my mechanics, the easier it becomes for me to be able to produce the testosterone uh, to the capacity that I'm producing it. I would imagine that if somebody was to check my, my T levels right now, they probably would be pretty high, but most of it is because I'm changing things about my structure. My body, like if you ha- if your body's degenerated and you're dehydrated everywhere, and then you tell somebody tells you to relax, relax into what position? It's like, if your body is twisted like this and somebody says, relax, you physically can't relax. It's impossible to. It's like, how do you find the position to relax if the majority of your body is, is in a constant state of compression? You, and the simple answer is you can't. And that, to me, is uh, what, what I, I focus my uh, practice on. That's what I spend my time dealing with. Is I always ask myself, am I putting the adequate amount of time into, um, into resetting the structure? Like if my bones are compressed or twisted in one direction, the likelihood of me getting out of my anxiety is going to be much lesser than if I can untwist that bone and create a decompressive effect and allow the bones to breathe and the tissues that are around it to breathe. We all want to breathe. And how often do you hear about people talking about, well, you know what, if you want to control your autonomic nervous system, you need to improve your breathing. Well, I'm saying, well, uh, what about cellular respiration? And you guys have heard me talk about that stuff and whatnot, but... Um, I guess that kind of covers, for the most part, my uh, my perspectives on uh, on uh, on TRT and whether I'm on it or not. I'm sure people are going to accuse me of of it because oftentimes what people do is they they see somebody else succeed and then automatically they have to assume that person must be cheating uh, in order to get the results that they do. And I'm sure that that's going to happen way more in the future as I can feel things happening in my body that have never happened before, and. I, I don't know how people are going to say I'm cheating this next thing. I think they're just going to kind of have to say, okay, this guy knows what he's talking about. But anyway, that's enough of the testosterone talk. Wasn't there something else kind well, of similar to it? You had talked about pain in the last podcast. Mm-hmm. And someone asked if you can elaborate on that type of pain. And uh, I guess they asked if you're implying that traditional strength training causes that pain or said pain. So what, what was it in regards to pain? What, what are they? They were asking if you can elaborate on the types of pain that you were talking about. And uh, if you're implying that traditional strength training causes pain. That's the problem, man. It's like, what kind of pain am I talking about? Um, I don't know. For some, one person, uh, some there's people that find 
pleasure in certain types of pain. So it's kind of ambiguous. I, I don't know. It's it, like for me to classify that. I would say that the pain I'm talking about is pain that relates to the body undergoing some form of damage and that the organism that's experiencing that pain is aware of the damage. But I talked on another podcast about how if you're producing cortisol, that the cortisol acts as an anti-inflammatory to, uh, to essentially help. Um, it acts as an anti-inflammatory to help us suppress pain. But there's situations where like your body can be so imbalanced where you're going to feel pain even if you try psychologically switching it off. So um, as it relates to the pain that I'm talking about, I'm talking about the, the sensation of understanding. It, there's a sensation being created by, by the body communicating that there's some form of damage going on in the, in the body. That's what I would classify as a pain, kind of to some degree, but it, it, pain is an ambiguous term. It's, it's, not like, it's not like it's a real clear, that, that is super clear what it even means. But um, does, going back to the whole the traditional training, am I implying that traditional training all across the board causes pain? Let me put it this way. Traditional training was never intended to correct imbalances on the body. And I feel that at some point or the other, if you have imbalances on your body, you are going to experience some form of tissue damage that you will then report as painful. Like something's going to happen within time. So on my end, I'm thinking, okay, if um, if traditional training causes imbalances or dysfunctions on the body and dysfunctions within time will lead to a person having pain, then yeah, I would say that the way that people train traditionally is going to cause pain. I mean, we have to think about the origins of where of where we got our of how training methods got established. I mean, why did people work out in the first place? I remember like way back in the day, people were watching Pumping Iron with Arnold. That's I remember I watched that way back. I mean, I had already been lifting weights before I watched Pumping Iron, but I was like, oh wow, this is where it kind of all started, where people really started going to gyms and wanted to get pumped and get big muscles and whatnot. People went to the gym to go. Bi- build muscles for what purpose clearly not to improve their function there maybe some of them had this whole idea that if I squat more or whatever I'll be able to pick somebody up easier or whatever but they weren't thinking about well if I go to the gym I'm training in I'm going to train to improve myself as a human to move better as a human like they they weren't they weren't considering that at all they were just thinking okay I'm going to go in here and I want to get jacked that's my whole goal. I want to get strong. I want to be able to lift stuff. But they were not thinking, well, I want to improve my running biomechanics. They weren't thinking, I want to improve my throwing biomechanics and build muscles in relation to specific functions that enhance our biology as human beings. They weren't thinking that way. And so if you talk about traditional training, that's the tradition. The tradition is kind of like, to some extent, nonsensically building muscle for the sake of vanity. So on my end, I'm thinking, well... If you train with that frame of mind to begin with, and we have to keep in mind that there's a difference between the intention to train functionally and then the execution involved in training functionally, right? Just because I intend to train functionally doesn't mean that I'm actually going to execute well on it. But if your intention isn't even to improve your functionality as a human being, which a human being prioritizes standing, walking, running, and throwing, and its functions, those are the three, those are the four most defining traits to human beings. All anthropologists agree with that. Virtually all, it's like unanimous all across the board that those functions are the ones that drove us. If you don't even have the intention 
that's that's I mean, there's no way that you're not that traditional training is not causing you damage. There's no way that at some point is not going to cause problems. Um, that a bench press won't cause problems or that back squats won't cause problems or deadlifts. Everybody ends up feeling those types of pains. Back in the day, I used to say that and it was like I was seen as a heretic for saying these types of things, but time passes and all the people who criticize me and judge me, they aren't laughing anymore. They aren't like scoffing at me anymore because guess what? They experienced the sensations. They've dealt with it. I'm going to have some people on the podcast within time to talk about it, to give their testimony of what happened, even the whole story of it, of how much flack I got for telling people that, yeah, traditional training will obviously cause imbalances in the body that will then lead to pain. Because if if the imbalances lead to tissue damage because you continue to keep overloading dysfunctional habits in your movement, then that's going to ultimately lead to uh, damage, which will then at some point will lead to pain. Unless your body is complete, unless your body has no nociceptors or whatever, if it doesn't have that, then maybe you don't. Maybe there's there's some people that literally feel no pain. So in that sense, maybe yeah. In that sense, you, you could be feeling dam- you could be damaging yourself and just not feel pain. So if you're one of those like tiny, if you're a very very small part, if you're a part of that very 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 small minority, then I'll say yeah, traditional training won't cause pain. But if you're like the majority of people, it causes pain. And so. It, it really comes down to that whole premise that if you aren't even intuitively, uh, if you aren't even intuitively looking at the problem correctly, if you aren't even thinking about, am I trained? What the hell is that noise? You see, this is one of the problems when you're out in, in nature or whatever. What the fuck? I'm assuming so. Let me check on this. I'll be right back. No, just a bunch of little birds. Anyway, uh, if if uh, if you're not even intuitively looking at it from the perspective that you know is my training causing more imbalance or more function, then th- there's no way that you're going to like that you're not going to cause pain at some point or the other. But then there's an execution component on that. Like I can talk about like, hey, look, I train in relation to the the functional patterns big four in my own way. It's like, yeah, you could still do that, but then like your execution could still be off. And if your execution's off, you're essentially doing the same thing as the people that are doing the, the, the bodybuilder traditional training type of stuff. Let me see if I don't create a big old plume of smoke here, Pablo. I'm going to see if I can just kind of slowly get this sucker going again. This will be a good little experiment. Oh, yeah, I'm killing it. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my take on, uh, I guess that's my current take. I'm sure this, this topic will come back once again later on down the line, but, um, the, the whole, the, that whole issue with like saying, does this thing cause problems or whatever? Does smoking marijuana make people lazy? Uh, does drinking alcohol make people dumb? Like these, it it can, these things can do that, but is it to say that it's always going to do that? I mean, it depends on, it depends on the individual. Not everybody, not every individual responds to stimuli in the same way, and that also needs to be taken into consideration. And it's not something that people often do. Tra- traditional training will cause pain within time. There's no way it doesn't. Walking will cause pain within time if you're not doing it correctly. So it's like anything will cause pain if you're doing doing it incorrectly over time. But uh, something like a back squat for sure is going to cause pain. It's like 
you're compressing your spine, you're putting like weight on your shoulders and then like compressing your spine and then going down and up bilaterally in this fashion when your body is like, it's like adapted to move like this as a priority. I mean, that, in, and keep in mind, I go beyond that when it comes to looking at training, but if your body's meant to do this in space with your legs and then you're constantly training your body to work like this and, and your the traditional methods don't account for those variables, for sure it's going to cause pain at some point or the other, in, in, my, in my personal opinion. I'm doing better this time than last time, Pablo. Yeah, <laughs> it's just about just kind of like, you know, just feathering the wood right on there. That's right. That's right. Well, I guess on staying on the, the topic of training, someone else asked, or we're talking about, they have a client who likes to... Uh, do specific types of training or activities uh, just because they're fun and they ask what your thoughts are on training being fun or you know doing activities because they're fun look man I, I'm not opposed to fun but the, the problem is that I'm, I'm like known as the party pooper because um, most things that people think are fun aren't fun to me um, Let's say, for example, if you have a client that loves to play soccer or flag football, or they say, you know what, now like I, I like I like going to the gym and uh, hitting the hitting weights because you know it, it's really it's it's fun, it's pleasurable for me to go over there and like you know lift something heavy and get the pump or and actually functional patterns will give you the best pump of any type of training if you do it right. But they, they like going to the gym and be like, look, I accomplished something. I deadlifted all sorts of weight. Uh, I went to go play a game of tennis and whatnot. Look, you can go do those types of things and get away with it for a while. The question that I ask is that if your body has a, like if your body has a tendency to want to rotate to the left, and I may have talked about this before, but if your body has a tendency of wanting to rotate its trunk to the left, no matter what you do, you rotate your head to the left and your head rotate, rotates over to the right, and you're always in that position, and you have calcium deposits built around those biomechanics, when you go play a game of basketball or you go play a game of soccer or when you play any sport or do anything, you have to realize that the more repetitions that you do where you're not correcting that rotation, the more you're ingraining in those calcium deposits into your body. So that fun that you're having will lead to no fun later on because then it's going to be that much harder to correct those problems. And this is a, this is a very common issue that happens with people and with practitioners in FP. They'll have a client and the, the client will say, uh, yeah, you know, I went to go, I went to go ride bikes for, I, I did a 60 mile or 70 mile, uh, bike ride or whatever with my friend I went road biking or whatever and then you're like I was like you know I've had clients who done that and I'm like okay so what you essentially said what you essentially did is that remember that rotation we were working on like getting rid of it what you just did is you went on the bike and then you ingrained that rotation right back to where it was before and you erased all the progress that, that I was trying to make with you in the name of you having fun it's, and we're, we're like year, we're probably like another year, year and a half out from really being able to get that pattern out of your system. And you keep going back to doing things that are damaging you. Uh, how, how far can I take you? Most clients don't want to hear that, unfortunately, because they're like, you know what, man? Like I, I've, life is hard and I'd like to find time to be able to enjoy it. And quite honestly, most of the things that people enjoy in, in life tend to damage them. FP doesn't really. Because ultimately what we do is we try and say, okay, let's, let's zero in on the behaviors that aren't going to hurt you and focus on that. So, you know, you're, you're, you're progressive on your path towards uh, becoming more athletic and addressing your dysfunctions. To some people, that's fun. 
Actually, to a lot of people these days, it's fun to do that. But to a lot of people, they're, they're, they're still, they operate under the old worldview. They're thinking, I got to go play a game of two-hand touch football, or I got to go play tennis, or I got to go play a game of soccer, or ride bikes, or go do some deadlifts. To them, that, that's the idea of having fun. But on my end, I'm like, uh-huh. I don't know if I really like buy into that. And I'm not sure anybody should buy into that, to be completely honest. But um, it's a problem. And it, it, let's say, for example, if you're, if you're a person who's like doing functional patterns and you're trying to mix it with something else, and you know what, I, I, I go play soccer for some club or some league or whatever, and I do functional patterns that kind of counteract the pain, you got to realize all functional patterns are going to be there is like your temporary aid to, to, to hold back the calcium deposits that are in your body holding you in that rotation, rotated state. Like FP is going to slightly pull you out of that. And then you're going to go back and play the sport and then bring yourself back in. And so at some point, the benefit of what FP is going to have to offer is going to run out because we, it's so difficult to account for the, for the ingrained patterns that people have. Like if somebody's twisted in one direction, which everybody is, like to account for the, for the, for the uh, intensity of that dysfunction is so difficult. You have to be very specific about what you're doing. Like when people think that walking is like a, the simplest thing, like if it just happens, it is so like the amount of tension dispersal and compression dispersal that there is in the body for every step that you take is it, it's so, so intricate. And most people, they just, they're completely unaware of that. And I think if they were more aware of it, they'd be like, you know what? I don't really care about this fun thing. I think if people could actually see what they, what their body's doing, they wouldn't care about that fun stuff so much. So if you want to, if you're, if you're last week, I talked about the functional spectrum, right? You have the dysfunctions, the drug addict, the person who's violent, uh, is always mad all the time or always sad all the time or happy all the time. Somebody who's on this end of the spectrum, which is a dysfunctional person. Then you have the functional person over here who's constantly trying to address their problems. It's like if you want to get to the functional state, which is actually really fun, because if you if you could attain undoing the rotational dysfunctions that are in your body, you actually can go play basketball for several hours a day and not hurt yourself if you cross this spectrum over here. But the issue is if, if you're a person doing FP and you're like caught somewhere in between, you're not going to get to the, you're not going to get to the real result that you need to overcome your problem. And you can, I mean, I guess, I guess I'm, I'm the kind of person that says, you know what? I think a 120 year to 150 year lifespan is way too short. I personally feel like, man, that's a really short life. I think human life should extend much further than 150 years, substantially further than that. I'm not saying that functional patterns is going to give you that. I'm not, I'm not, I don't like making those types of claims. It's unscientific to do so. I'm saying that there's a potential that that could happen, but I'm not going to say that that's the case, but most people, when they think about, uh, their life, they're like, you know what? I, I live, I, I live from, uh, one years old and the most I'll ever get with my body is about 90 years uh, old. If I get to 90, I'll be great. And I'm like thinking, man, those are low standards. So for, if you think that, the longest you're supposed to live is around 85 years to 90 years, and then you got you had a good life ahead of you. Then guess what? You're going to be somewhere in the middle between functionality and dysfunction, and never want to change. And I, that's not how I operate. I don't operate under that pretext. I operate under the pretext that if you can get your cells to breathe, if you can create cellular expansion the way that it's supposed to expand, and you can get your your cells to breathe, that you will live a much longer period of time. That if you can communicate to your body how to actually repair, that you'll live much longer. I don't think it's, I know it's not crazy. 
I know it's not crazy. And I know most people wouldn't call me crazy anymore. If I was a regular dude saying this, and that would be the case, but people look at the results that FP gets all the time, and now they're like, okay, this guy's clearly not crazy. He's on to something. And so I'm just telling people, I'm like, what if you could live to 200 years or 250 years? Shoot, what if you could live to 125 years? If I told you that you could live to 125 years and that you'd be running up to 100 years, actually running, would you cont continue to keep doing the, the fun stuff? Would you keep living your life in the way that most people live it? Obviously not. So ultimately what I have to do is I have to like live the next 30 years, 40 years of my life. And if, if, uh, if they haven't, if transhumanism hasn't been mapped out completely or whatever, or they haven't figured that out, then at that point I'll be given the opportunity to show that, you know what, that if we alter our biology in a way that's conducive towards functionality all across the board, that respects tensegrity all across the board, then in 30, 40 years, I'll move way better than what I actually look, than what, how I move right now. And I may look a lot better in 30, 40 years than what I do now. At that point, that's when it might get people's attention and they'll be like, damn, that fool's 70, 80, and he still looks like he's 30. Okay, what the hell? Then at that point, they'll do whatever I say. It's just that right now, when we try explaining this stuff to people uh, who train FP, they're just thinking, dude, you're just getting me out of pain. You're just like another variant of physical therapy most of the time. Or like uh, your FP is like a way of doing movements or whatever. Let's go ahead and play dances with kettlebells or dances with dumbbells. Let's move around with dumbbells in a variance of different ways and, and forget about the function that's associated to it, that's supposed to be associated to it. Um, if people had a better idea of like what is possible with science, I don't think that they would care to want to have fun that often. I think they'd be thinking about, you know what, let me get my ducks in a row before I decide to say um, that I'm going to go want to, that I want to go have fun. But it's like, how often do people get ahead of themselves in this society? People get ahead of themselves with everything that they do. They're like, I want to have happiness. I want to like live a happy life. It's like, okay, like how many steps are you skipping towards attaining some kind of happiness? People are like, you know, I, I want to like... I want to do something special in life. I want to, I want to have meaning in life. Be like, can you pay for your bills yet? Do you even know how to manage debt? Are you in debt? Do you know how to use a credit card? Like what, how much of your life do you have organized well enough so you can attain like life satisfaction or actually like accomplish something? Like, can you take a step forward and not completely jar your lumbar spine? Can you at least do that? No. Then like, how far do you want to go with things? People just get ahead of themselves. And so, People are just thinking, man, I'm not in pain anymore. I want to go play basketball. Like that's such a common tendency with people who train with an FP practitioner. The FP practitioner gets them out of pain. And what does the client do? Client says, uh, let me go back to doing the stuff that caused me the pain in the first place. I may have already talked about this, but I'm sure this will be like a common theme that pops up over and over again. But if you're a person who does FP and you're like, man, you know, I want to go play basketball. I want to go play a game of hoops or I want to go do jujitsu or kickboxing or whatever, like, because I feel so great doing functional patterns. Just realize you never overcame the problem. Like the amount of compression that there still is on your body is massive. Unless you look like a guy like Yoel Romero or something like that. Like, and how many people <laughs> look like him? Unless you look like Yoel Romero, you probably shouldn't go out and go do a bunch of activities with your body. You got a little, a lot of work to do. But again, it comes down to how far do you want to go? Like if we have this end of the spectrum, which is I'm gung-ho functionality 
And on this end of the spectrum, I'm just like, ah, you know, I'm just trying to manage until I'm like 80 and then I just keel over and die. Then what I'm saying is it going to be impractical to you. But I'm not, I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm not even trying to be there. If that happens to me, then so be it, man. So be it. But I'm aiming to be over here. I'm aiming to not ever die. That's my, that's the objective. That's the objective of biology to begin with when you think about it, right? Why, do, why does biology do, do what it does? To survive, I mean, mating is a byproduct of what? Mating is just, it's like, a, it's a compromise. You make a baby to have to pass on some of your genes, but you're just passing a little bit of that over because, you know, 20 generations later, a very small part of you is going to live on into the, into the future generations. Why not just, like, be the, have the whole vessel of who you are pass into the future? Wouldn't that make more sense? I mean, that makes more sense to me to pursue that makes way more sense to me than to do it the way that most people do it, which is why I'm not having kids. So that gets, and that's another topic for another time. But if you're a person wanting to have fun, that's cool. But just realize you're on this end of the, the functional spectrum. If you want to get on the opposite end of the spectrum where full functionality is, and you want to get to this place, you're going to have to take away the fun for a while and then start like actually assessing yourself and assessing your life and saying, why do I do anything? What's the point of anything? It's a real bitter pill to swallow. But once you get over that hump of why you do anything and you understand that you're just in this to survive first and foremost, and you're either making decisions to help you survive or not, you get on that functional path a lot faster. I'm doing really well with this fire today, bro. I'm, I'm murdering it. Like, oh, you know, I actually am. I don't know if I'm having fun. All I know is that my muscles are relaxing because the infrared light's hitting my body. Like, the, the, Well, this is like a full spectrum, a variant of a full spectrum kind of light fire. So I know that when I'm like, when I'm chilling here, like in front of this fire, I'm like, oh man, like it's giving me, it's taking my tissues and going like, oh, like this big ass blue light up here, it makes everything look nice. But I'm unfortunately, I'm like, I'm engulfed in this thing over here because it's so powerful and it's relaxing my muscles. So I, you know what I think? I think relaxation is fun. When you're chilling and you're just like this and then like, you know, like there, there's there's a different there's a difference between looking at life peripherally, or uh, it, there, there's a difference between looking at the uh, at the forest from the individual tree. When you're stressed out, you look at the individual tree. When you're relaxed, you look at the whole forest. And sometimes, when I'm fully relaxed and I'm in tune, and I'm not in tune right now because I'm on camera with you, but I'll look at everything at the same time, and it almost all seems in focus. And when I'm there, it's like my body just like it's all it's. It's not that it's fun. It's mortifying. It's terrifying because I'm like, geez, I begin to think about it. I'm like, this is how I'm supposed to feel all the time. What am I normally doing? So when I'm actually repairing, it's not fun. It's scary because then you like think about well, what am I doing all the time? And then you get into this conundrum in your head. But then at some points you find actual peace or whatever. And then you're like, wow, this is amazing. This actually is fun. Repair is like, think about it. When you go to sleep and you blast off and you have some crazy dreams like I'll have like lucid dreams or whatever where I'm like visualizing this crazy stuff with biomechanics. I'm having the time of my life. It's like how many people do DMT and ayahuasca and all this stuff because at some level it's kind of fun. They start laughing and giggling and whatnot. I think at some level they're secreting DMT and I think sleep is what helps you secrete DMT and that's where fun lies. So I don't know. Holy shit. You see these? Wow. Hawaii's got some interesting stuff, man. And the animal life is part of that interestingness. I'll, I'll have another studio here soon. And it'll be a, a little bit better of a scenery than this studio. Anyway, 
uh, going back to that whole thing with fun. Yeah, I guess I am having fun. I like being in front of a fire, man. It, it, it's not that I like it. I think my biology prefers this. My bi biology likes this. And so I just go with, I go in the direction of where my biology dictates. And fortunately, my biology seems to like to heal a lot. And so I'm very lucky in that sense. And then I'm hope, I'm ho hopefully other people uh, orient themselves in that way too. That's crazy. Those lizards are just battling it out, dude. All right, next one. I guess, uh, yeah, switching topics. Uh, on the last podcast, someone mentioned uh, liking your contribution to health and society, but there are still some parts where they feel they don't know where they stand. As social animals, wouldn't it make functional sense to make friends? Yes, it does make sense. We are social, but, I mean, come on, bro. Let, let, me, let me put it this way. If you had... It makes sense to make friends and that it's healthy to have friendships, that humans need some kind of a connection and community. And, but I think that people overemphasize that. Like if I, for example, was a human and the only thing that existed around me were crackheads, meth heads, and heroin addicts. And all I had a choice was, uh, the only choice that I had was to fit in between a crackhead, a meth head, and a heroin addict. Then that would be a suit. That would be suicide. There, like, like context really needs to be considered when it comes to this, uh, this topic, because people usually fail to consider context. They're not like, they're not thinking about, well, you know, um, what's the quality of the relationship? What's the premise of the relationship? People don't think about that. They don't talk about that. And that to me is of utmost importance. Like, like me growing up, I didn't drink alcohol. I didn't drink, like, I didn't drink beer. I didn't like drinking, like, uh, whatever. I, I hated it. I didn't smoke weed. And all my friends, all of them, partook in one of one of uh, the use, the abuse of one or two of the substances. And sometimes, you know, I have some friends that did cocaine. I had some friends that would do even harder stuff. And I was like, um, you know, I, you can do what you want, bro. But on my end, I'm not gonna do that stuff. Like that's that's not how I roll. And so anyway, I, uh, I stayed the hell away from that stuff. And. As time progress, my my life began to progress on. I realized that I was the buzzkill to any group of people that I was with because I wasn't partaking in the most common behavior uh, within social circles, which is what getting wasted. It's like getting wasted with in, with one substance or the other. Like, oh, you're not gonna do the shrooms with me, bro. You're lame. Oh, now you're you're a total buzzkill. And I'm like, thanks, bro. I appreciate you calling me the buzzkill. Uh, not like I got to get away from this. I, 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 it's better for me to be lonely and not have other people around me than like to deal with this crap. Because like I, I don't want to get like, you know, I, I don't want to get cancer. Like if I keep drinking alcohol and because I study this, I'm thinking the alcohol shuts down your prefrontal cortex. So it, I'm just thinking, OK, if al alcohol trains me to shut down my prefrontal cortex, then what's going to happen if I repeat that pattern over and over again? Might I become less intelligent? Might I be have a lesser capacity to be objective about how I perceive my reality? One might make that argument. And I made that argument a long time ago before I even became a trainer. I was like, no, that doesn't make any sense at all for me to be drinking alcohol. That doesn't seem right. I tried it and I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And so on my end, my personal life was, you know, was like, uh, was cluttered with these situations where I wasn't able to socialize with people because, I mean, what were the what were the options that I had with people? One was either smoking weed, 
One was drinking alcohol. Some of them would go hike, but then when they would go hike, they would go smoke a bunch of weed or they were like, oh, let's go rock climbing and then damage our body going rock climbing. It's like every single, almost every social circle that I witness in our society is, is governed around some kind of a dysfunction. There's always dysfunctions associated with it. It's like if I want to be spiritual, automatically I have I must partake in sitting in a lotus position and I must do uh, meditation and I have to do these cleanses. And if I don't do the cleanses and I don't smoke weed with the people who are in these circles, then there's something wrong with me. If I don't do the ayahuasca and completely probably fry out my dopamine circuit with ayahuasca, then there's something wrong with me and now I'm a buzzkill to the people. Now I don't get it. Now I'm not matching the vibes of the group of, the, of people that are there. If I don't partake in the rituals that people partake in, now I don't get to fit in. And so now, so then you're left with the question. It's like, do I partake in the rituals and get the, the benefits of community or do I just ride it alone and then figure it out? Well, that's what I did. I, I chose not to hang out with people. I, I had, there was a specific time that one time I was at a bar and uh, I'll, I'll talk about the specifics of this, but there was one guy and we were about to go to a bar. It, this is when I lived out in San Diego and uh, the guy was of shorter stature. I'm a short guy. And you know, like our society likes to, you know, let you know that if you're short, you're inferior. Like it's like nobody, nobody makes a, uh, understatement about that. You know what I mean? People would just be like, Hey man, you're short. Be like, Oh, thanks bro. Like I, I I'm glad I'm, I'm sure you mean that in the most complimentary fashion you could ever ma- make it. And so I'm, I'm, uh, we're about to go out. I hadn't met, I hadn't met up with these guys and I hadn't met up with this one guy that was a, a close friend of mine at the time in a while. And so we're about to go out to the bar and I was like, what the hell? I haven't done anything for a while. I've been by myself. I, I mean, I've, I'd hang out with people periodically, but I've, I'd mostly been by myself for, I don't know, like a year. And I was like, you know what? I'll go, I'll go back into society for a little bit. And I go out and this guy happens who have, who's of shorter stature happens to be wearing these shoes that have that are that make him four about four inches taller but the, it kind of hides that he's four inches taller like the design of them cha- uh, changes it so when you're in a bar it makes it look like you're taller but you're really not so if you take a woman home and you go sleep with her she's like wait a minute I actually hooked up with the guy who was about five four five five but I thought he was five eight five nine what the hell is going on here and so he's like man you should try these out and I'm like why? Why should I try this out? I'm like, don't you understand like what that's going to lead to? Like, there's going to be all sorts of resentment from the woman that I have sex with. I'm like, I don't want her to feel like that. That's terrible for her. It's like, that's like super selfish. I can't do that, bro. Like, I, I can't be deceitful like that. And never mind that. I'm like, I don't feel that bad about being short. By this time, I think I was like 26, 27. And I'm like, bro, it's like, yeah, I'm short. And maybe society doesn't see me as being like... uh like as attractive because I'm a small guy. Maybe women don't find a short man to be as attractive. So be it, dude. It's all good. I when I fly on an airplane, I although sometimes I like to first fly first class just to kind of like egg on old white people, uh, just to kind of piss them off. Uh, most of the time, it's like I'm flying first class if I'm just riding coach, right? There's benefits to that. How much food I I can live off of 1,500 calories of food easily. If I was quite a bit taller than what I am now, I'd have to buy more food. I'd have to own more clothes. I'd have to take up more space. Gravity's not as forgiving to tall people. So I'm like, by that time, I had already like made all these conclusions about myself where I'm like, you know, society's built this hype around being tall. And I'm like, I'm, I'm not really buying into the hype anymore, bro. And it's like, maybe people will be like, you know, now you just got a Napoleonic complex, whatever. You can call it, say, call it whatever you want. 
But by that time, I was like, you know what? I'm over that. I'm over feeling like I'm a victim because I'm a little guy. And I'm not going to, and although people like to make fun of me because I'm short, um, I'll let them. And it still agitates me from time to time when they do it because I'm like, you know, I think that making fun of somebody because they're short is the, it's the literal equivalent of making fun of somebody because they're black or because they're gay and they can't control it. I think it's the equivalent to that. And I think it's unfortunate that our culture doesn't see it as such. But never mind all that. That's a separate topic. This guy wants me to wear these four-inch platform shoes and lie. And I was like, no, bro, I can't do that. And subsequently, that same night, he had like these weird wires all over his body that he was hiding under some kind of a ja- j- under his uh, jacket because he also had a heart condition. And I was like, whoa. I was like, correlation there? Is there, is there, is there, like, is there causation there? Correlation, whatever? I'm like, can we correlate that? This guy's inferiority complex because he's short might be causing these heart problems with this dude. I was I was tripping out, and uh, sure enough, we go to the bar, and he's and the guys are like, "Oh, you know, now do you want to order a, a pit? We're gonna order a pitcher or whatever." And I'm like, "I'm good, bro. I'm just drinking water. Maybe I'll I'll get some hot wings or something like that." But I'm definitely not drinking alcohol. And I got this conversation once again where I was like, "Oh, you don't drink alcohol? Why don't you do it?" And I'm like. Because it switches off your prefrontal cortex, there was actually a guy in there who was actually happened to be a scientist. He was a biochemist, and he worked for like some uh, biotech company or whatever. And I'm like, and he, and I'm and I was like, I don't I don't like to drink alcohol. I'll be like, why not? I'll be like, well, why do you like to drink alcohol? He's like, I, I don't know. It's just fun. I like to do it. And I'm like, really? So you you just enjoy it? Is what you're that that's your explanation for it? And he's like, yeah, I just enjoy it. It's like nothing else. I'm not addicted or anything. I'm like. Does the alcohol secrete dopamine for you? Does it trigger dopamine or serotonin? You, you, so you're telling me that you happen to be one of the people that drinks alcohol but doesn't actually feel the, the you know, that, that doesn't have the hormonal responses associated with, uh, with alcohol or the chemical responses. And he's like, no, I'm not saying that. And I'm like, okay, so you drink alcohol because in some way, shape, or form you're bored and you feel like you need to spice up your life a little bit. Okay, cool. That's fine. Then do, do what you got to do. But then he wanted to start throwing it back on me and kind of like saying that I was a buzzkill. And then at that time, I was like, okay, this is the last time I'm doing this. I'm not doing this anymore. And I, I've, I had already been separating myself from people for years prior to that, for the most part, unless it was like strictly oriented around like being a trainer or whatever. If I wasn't at the gym with somebody, then I wouldn't like uh, interact with people. But it was after that that I said, all right, man, I'm done. I, I can't deal with this crap anymore. And I made that decision. I never turned back. And dude, like... I'm crushing it. I've just been killing it ever since. And I was killing it before, but I killed it way faster when I got rid of all that crap. So I'm like, I mean, if, if you if you feel that you need, if, if you're at work, if you have like work obligations that require you to work within the confines of a team, then that's cool. But it's like, like a lot of times people will be like, you know what? I need to fit in with the team. I need to go to the bar with them so I can be like, a part of this group, you know, I'm a, I'm a software engineer. And then after we get done with work, we go to the bar and go drink some beer. It's like, I guess maybe in that situation, I could give you that because maybe you, you'd be more inclined to get a promotion, but you will also get a promotion if you just are really, really good at your job. And if you do really, really good work, that's really what a boss cares about, man. I don't see, I don't, I think that there's enough functional people out there that you can congregate with if you just hold out for a while. I think if you hold out long enough and you work on yourself and you develop your character, that all those people that you wish you could have attracted are ones that you will attract within time. My God, this fire is getting freaking hot. I need to back up a little bit. So yeah, man. Um, 
what's nice is when you develop good social relationships with people who really like vibe on your level, who who are really about being on this end of the spectrum, on the functional end of the spectrum. It's an amazing thing, but it's like, I can never, I can never fully justify as an adult, uh, making friendships with people who are dysfunctional as a, as a first priority. That doesn't make any sense to me. It makes way more sense to, to fly solo, to isolate yourself and to constantly improve yourself and, uh, and live like that. And then hope, and then at some point draw in uh, people because they'll, they'll, they'll gravitate to you. Let me put it this way. I, 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 over the last 10, 15 years, haven't had problems like having people gravitate towards me because I'm productive. So on my end, I always aim to just be productive. And if I'm productive, people are going to be there and I'll have friendships. But if I'm on that dysfunctional end of the, and keep in mind, if I'm on that dysfunctional end of the spectrum, sure, people may call me to go party and whatnot, but what's the shelf life on a person like that? You may be friends with a person like that for about four or five years until their body completely deteriorates. And then they end up having to deal with like all the consequences of living that lifestyle. And then at that point, you don't have that friendship anymore. So I mind, I was never the person that per- people called when it, they would go out and party, but when they wanted to get their act together and say, you know what, I want to actually like fix my life. They're like, Naudi, don't, 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 don't. And I've had that like crazy. And now I've like, I live a pretty cool life comparatively to how most people live it. I mean, I, I have my problems, guys. Like I have my issues, but, um, that, that's my take on it, man. I don't, I don't, in this world, I don't have friends, man. I have uh, tribesmen. And, and if you're a tribes person, and you want to pull weight, then that's how I roll with people. That's how it is. I'm like, look, guys, when people hit me up, they're not hitting me up because they like me. They're hitting me up because they're like, now do you have something I need? And a lot of times it's a form of wisdom that I don't have as it relates to the body, as it relates to how I approach life, business, whatever. People come to me because they need something. And so on my end, I'm like, yeah, you know, like why, why, did humans, why do humans work in packs to begin with? Because they can't survive on their own. Leopards don't work with with in a team, neither do cheetahs. Why? Because they don't have to. If you didn't have to as a human, you wouldn't. So like on my end, I understand that every single relationship that you're going to have amongst people is going to be reciprocal. So either each party needs to bring something to the table. And if one brings something to the table and the other isn't, then the one that isn't bringing something to the table needs to learn how to bring something to the table to grow something. But if, if, if you're trying to bring something to the, to a dysfunctional table, then, I mean, I guess you can do that. You know, like, Hey bro, we got to go party and you got to bring some babes over to the party, bro. Bring those babes over to the party. And if you're not going to bring them, you got to bring a bunch of beer, bro. But you can't keep bringing a bunch of sausage to this party, bro. Otherwise you're going to be a buzzkill, bro. That's what it's going to end up being. And I'm like, I'm not about, I've dealt with that. I've dealt with the politics of that. And it's like, like I, that never fest that never re, that never brings anything relevant. But it's like, hey, bro, I got these projects I need to get done. There's some dysfunctional people on this planet, and I want to make them functional again. Do you want to help me along that path? Do you want to deal with some of the barriers associated with trying to get people functional? Yes. Okay, then you can be a part of my tribe. Otherwise, I don't want to be a part of your. I don't want. I don't want you in my crew. That's it. And and ultimately, if I find no people that want to do that, then I'll fly it alone. I don't care. I don't need to have a bunch of people around me anyway. And so when you live your life like that. You'd be surprised at how much better things get for you. That's my advice with that. Uh, you guys can take it as you will. Well, maybe one more. This was from the YouTube okay. uh, video. 
Someone commented about caffeine, said that caffeine has always helped me stay motivated with things that don't matter to me, when the real problem was doing things that didn't matter. You had said that you would uh, bring this up. Okay, um, that's, that's valid, I would say, that that's the case. But the purpose motive doesn't always just drive people to want to get up and do uh, certain things or whatever. Unfortunately, people, like you can, like I gave people the purpose, plenty of purpose with functional patterns for years. And they wouldn't want to get up to do anything. Like they understood the purpose of FP. It's just they, they were hoping that everything is going to be fun. The reason that people drink coffee is not because they're like not motivated. Like people who drink coffee are extremely motivated individuals. It's just like, dude, when you got to look at a computer screen for several hours in a day and, and look at numbers, it gets exhausting. And so on your end, you're thinking, I'm there and they're thinking, how am I going to get through this day today dealing with this like super repetitive thing? And the way I would say it is like, hey, make sure you got you make sure that you did whatever you could to um, enhance your physiology to get really good sleep. So then you don't have to drink coffee in the morning to deal with that problem. That's what I would say. But then people drink coffee as a means to compensate for that problem. They're like, you know what? They, they have all the motive to want to work, but the way that they live their life is not condu it's not conducive towards uh, the creation of energy to tackle tasks without coffee. So they need to end up taking in coffee to help them get through the day. So it's, it's not the, the, it's not just the motive. It's like, what are you doing in your general life? That's actually helping you cultivate energy or not. That's the question. So, um, yeah, I mean, what, what he's saying is completely valid. It's like, if, if the purpose is not there, if the, if the, if there's no point, then what's the sense of doing it? But bro, you can find a point to do anything. If you're a garbage man, uh, somebody needs to be a garbage man. Like that's, that's a very important role in society. It's extremely important. If somebody doesn't choose to be a garbage man, then that means that we have garbage everywhere in the streets. Th th that is such a pivotal role. If we don't have janitors in our society, that th we're going to have a mess everywhere. Everything's going to be dirty all the time. We're going to have to be cleaning stuff all the time. If we don't have people working on farms, making food, what do we have? Do we have a civilization anymore? No, every, even if lawyers don't deal with paperwork in my company to help me like handle things, handle complicated matters that relates to contracts and, uh, and different forms of accountability, there is no functional patterns. So you might think, oh, lawyers are scandalous. They're scumbag. No, they're not. They, they serve a purpose in our society. Uh, police officers, do they serve a purpose? Of course they do. They're an accountability measure for a world to be like, hey, look, there's consequences here. So if you misbehave, your ass is going to go behind bars. And is it the best accountability system that we could have? Obviously not, but it's the best that we know until right now. So it's like everybody has a role. If you work a job and you pay taxes and those taxes end up going to help people, then you're serving a purpose in society. So it's like the problem is that people assume that everything that they have to do, if they're not the, the hero in the movie of some sort, then automatically that their life is utterly meaningless. And so that's, that's part of like, what there is no ideal in this world. People assume like, oh man, I've had so many people that are like, oh my God, I'm meeting Naudi Aguilar himself. This guy's going to fix my problems for me. And I'm like, I've had situations where people end up, I don't even know how they end up popping up near me. And I'm like, this guy literally thinks I'm going to fix his problems for him. He, this guy, I, I had one situation where, where a guy thought I was like, already living with the Venus project type mentality, like that. I wasn't a business person. 
And because he watched it, I was into into the Venus Project that I was into Jock Fresco. He's like, this guy must already be like operating on that level. And I'm like, no, bro, I have a business I got to run. I got things I got to do. Like I got to hustle. That's how this world works. And uh, this person thought I was going to fix him for him. And I'm like, no, bro, that's not how this world works. It doesn't work like that. It's like this person was thinking that in order for me to get up and want to do anything, I have to feel like I'm a hero of a movie. Like Joe Rogan had that for for their, for a video on, on YouTube, like be the hero of your own movie. To some extent, I think it's okay to do that. But I'm like, bro, if, if you work at a freaking, uh, I guess if you work at a coffee shop, maybe at that point I'd be like, uh, you might be able to find another profession. Like try and see if you can find something else. But if that's what you got to do, then do it the best you can. Make the best coffee that you can possibly make. At least if it gets you to the next stepping stone or the next place to, to where you feel like you can make some kind of contribution, then so be it. Because ultimately, I, I'm bringing up people like garbage men, cops, firefighters, carpenters, construction workers. Like These are all people that are like absolutely imperative to maintain a civilization. But I guess if you're a barista at a coffee shop, I don't know. But it's not to say that you can't. It's not to say, So long as you like, I don't know, man, I guess that's a tough one. And I, I don't mean I don't mean to be offensive to people who are baristas. If you are a barista watching this, like I don't mean to be off- offensive. I just like I guess that in that situation that might be uh, one of those uh, a, a relevant scenario that this guy's talking about. I guess if you're like some kind of a therapist of some sort, that's uh, yeah. But you're keeping people alive. You're kind of helping them get through it. No, you're helping too. Most jobs have a good purpose, dude. If you're paying taxes, it's like. You're contributing to the society. Even if you're a damn barista, find purpose in whatever it is that you're doing to some extent and then like f- make your life functional. Let me sell you guys functional patterns for me. Let me sell you functional patterns for a little bit. Let me sell you guys on that. Like find purpose in what you do and then like actually find the purpose of living, which is like making yourself try to live forever. Um, so I guess that's that's my functional patterns plug for the podcast or whatever. Um completely shameless by the way i have i have literally zero shame because i honestly think um this is the coolest company on the planet and not even i don't even fuck i guess tesla's got cars that drive themselves that's pretty cool but i'm like how much do i have to drive if i live a functional life how much do i have to eat if you live a functional life you begin to realize that a lot of the stuff that we value is kind of just bullshit like i have all these cameras and whatnot i'm like what purpose does any of this serve unless i want to watch myself in slow motion like i was watching myself yesterday i'm like what do they really serve oh look i'm gonna make this podcast i guess i get information out and you know what there's a good purpose for the cameras i'm getting this information out let's do one more question we'll do one more do we have anything else I, i'm doing I, it's not that we do we have anything else you got to just look through that comment section there was a bunch of stuff in there just freaking sweating up a freaking storm up in here I guess going to uh, an SB question. Sure, we can do that. Uh, someone was saying that you you had made a great podcast, and um, they've seen several FB practitioners who who are beasts, biomechanically speaking. At the same time, their bodies do not look. Um, that apparently that these people like seem to have their biomechanics well figured out, but that their bodies are not a reflection of the of the bestiality. I'm I'm not sure if that's the right word they to just say. Don't look like a standard ideal for fitness that is out there. That they don't have the the physique of yeah. a person that should be functional. And in yeah, regard to that, you know, how should the human body look like if shaped by FP training? 
like Bo Jackson. Like you should have abs, like you should have some abs or whatever, pecs, biceps. Of course, you should have all these things. It's just that the practitioners, I'm like, I'm introducing them into a whole new system. Like this is like this is the thing with FP. It's not just like, oh, uh, come on over here, do this little mobilization, work your bicep here. Here, let me put you on a program, and then you just follow the program, and then you get some kind of results. FP doesn't operate like that. It's a completely, it's it's a complete reorganization of your cells on your body. That's what it represents. So it's like you're not just gonna like from one day to the other, just automatically like change, uh, who you are. It's, it's going to take a long time. It takes a long time to reshape cells. It's like, if I want to, if I want to make somebody's pecs really come out the way that they need to, or their biceps come out the way that they need to, when they don't have the frame, because not everybody has the frame to build muscle, right? But they do. If they're, if their cells are malleable, then they can turn their body into whatever the hell they want. So long as the stimuli is adequate, uh, to make that change. So, why don't FP people look like beasts automatically? It's because the precision of the techniques themselves is not up to par yet. They're just getting themselves started. But within time, if they just keep following the protocols, and obviously on my end, the pressure's on my end to codify this well enough to make it work for everybody. Uh, but if, if so long as they have the, uh, the electric charge in their body to help facilitate the change, if we give them the right kind of feedback, that will then not only increase their performance and make them even better with their movement, but they're also going to end up looking a lot different. They should look a lot different. So my physique starting to change. Like the definition of my body, the, the look of my biceps, the look of my triceps, the look of my cranium, my neck, cervical, all that stuff is starting to change because I'm, I'm mapping this out better. And so as it relates to uh, the practitioners, they still just got to map it out better. A lot of them are just getting started and they're like, they're at the beginning of a probably a 15-year road. They're at the beginning of it. So they're they're putting the pieces together. So you can't judge somebody by just what you see right now. Some people are already born, born with, with the muscles and whatnot. And you can have the muscles and still like move really dysfunctionally. There are a lot of people out there that have plenty of muscles on their body, but they still move incredibly dysfunctional. Um, how long do those muscles last? Not long. If if the if the if the function uh, is not accompanied with the muscular development, those people are the ones that end up on steroids as they get older in order to maintain their muscles. But if you have the function associated with the, with the, if you have the function associated with the, with the muscle contract contractions on your body, then at that point you won't need steroids. And that's what my objective ultimately is on the long term. So the reason that these people go, going back to that same thing and reiterating it, they just are not getting the calculations fully there yet but it will come and never mind this a lot of this they have to figure a lot of what's going on up here in order like to sort out your diet to sort out your diet you have to sort out your stressors so you can discipline yourself well enough to actually follow a diet because if you're an emotional eater as most people are most people they don't get that much fun in their everyday life like i had one guy uh he was an fp practitioner uh and he had asked uh, how do you deal with um, with like like minor eating disorders or like coping through eating? It, it, you still think you need to have fun in life, bro. That's your problem. You still think life needs to be fun. That life that in order to live in this life, you need to have fun. And because you don't have fun doing anything else, because you're always trying to fix your dysfunctions, what are you doing? You go to your food as the place to have your fun. 
And don't get me wrong, I still have fun when I'm eating, bro. When I'm eating my freaking my cheese and apples together, I'm like, that's bomb as hell. I'm like, yeah, that's amazing. I'm like that's that's a good little snack. I lo- it's amazing. I really really enjoy it. So with that said, it's not like I'm like uh, I'm not saying that eating should not be fun, but if if your life if if food if that's all food is for you, then that's the problem, and it means that you got to sort more things up here before you can actually overcome that situation. If there's one thing that sucks about this light is it actually ends up drawing a lot more bugs. Oh God. I'm going to have to figure out how we're going to deal with that too, bro. Hopefully when it gets colder, it won't be as bad. But yeah, guys, um, we're trying to keep this outdoors. I'm trying to keep this remotely. I'm trying to keep this podcast functional uh, while I have like dysfunctional equipment, like drawing in a bunch of like wildlife in the form of insects. But yeah, man, uh, we're all we're all on a path with this together. I looked like way different three, four years ago. And people used to make, I used to have like the people on the other side who had prod at that were a part of the weightlifting community say that I looked like Gollum from Lord of the Rings. And I kind of did, unfortunately at that time, cause I was still trying to figure things out. It's a process having to figure out what's up here is a process. I, I, we were just watching this fight, uh, Theofimo Lopez versus, uh, um, Vasily Lomachenko and Theofimo is 23 years old. But he, I remember, he, like about two years ago, I think I saw him in an interview talking about how he, how he dealt with the extreme anxiety, and I'm like, damn, this fool's already talking about anxiety at 21 years old, being the athlete that he is. What's gonna happen when this fool gets on the other side of that? Sure enough, two years later, he's fighting like one of the greatest fighters of all time, and I thought he dominated him, and I was, I was unbelievably impressed by both fighters, but really by Theofimo because it's like you know he's 23 years old, youngest. Um, uh, undisputed champion when they've had belts in history. I'm incredibly impressive. I mean, the guy was absolutely impressive. But because he figured everything out up here, when he finally got to the big stage, the biggest stage, fighting one of the greatest of all time, he didn't choke because he figured the stuff out up here. But when you figure the stuff out up here, man, there are a bunch of different, like, you're going to see the dysfunctions come out on the body. It's like you're going to, like, your, your body's going to go through a certain crisis. And this is the kind of stuff that people don't want to go through. Like when you cross to the other side of the functionality and where the discipline lies, bro, it's tough. It's really difficult, but it's not that tough. It's perceptual. And I try and like communicate to people that it's actually way easier. And really it's the perception that it's difficult, but it's actually not. And I just say, Hey bro, you're making a big deal out of something. It's not a big deal. Like I'll tell people that and they'll be like, like, yeah, you know, I'm not judging you for, this is what you're thinking, but I'm not judging you for what you're thinking. I know that's just bullshit. Just kind of like, it's not a bit. Nobody cares, bro. Nobody cares what what happened in your past or this embarrassing moment. Nobody gives a shit. Just get over it. Move along. The, and if somebody does care, screw them. It's like if they if if you did something like you committed a crime or beat somebody's ass or something or whatever, and or you sold drugs or did something like that. It's like people may judge you on that for a while, but ultimately in 10, 15 years, if you prove to be a solid dude that changed his outlook on life. And, and you modified your behavior and, and you've proved to consistently be a good person, people will forget about all the other bullshit. The, the essence of who you are and the changes that you, the essence of the changes that you've made are going to shine right through and people are going to be like, that's a cool person right there. And by cool, that's a useful person that's, uh, that's helping me become a better person by uh, excelling in life and then hopefully I can pick up on their, uh, on their, uh, on their behaviors and make a change for myself. So, um, yeah, it's a process, man. Getting functional is a process. 
and our practitioners, they're within that process. And it takes years to really understand the mechanics of all of it. And it's not even just the mechanics. It's like there are behavioral modifications that come with the physical modifications. They all come together. Anyway, that'll be all for the evening. I appreciate you guys uh, for showing up. We're trying, I guess we're trying to get this up here sooner than later. And uh, yeah, that'll be it. If you guys can, be sure to like, comment, and subscribe. I'm sure I probably should have said this in the beginning, but I don't like to because I hate like doing that. But if you guys want to see, continue to see information like this, uh, propagate. Uh, your support is necessary, and I'm not asking you guys for money. You guys never see me. I guess I plugged functional patterns for a minute, but that's kind of comes without saying. This is kind of like a functional patterns podcast with a, with a different name on it. Um, but uh, if you guys want to continue to see information like this, you need to get interactive with it. And, and to all the people that have been getting interactive with this podcast, uh, thank you. It really, uh, it really means a lot. Um, and if I didn't get that interaction, then I probably wouldn't do it. And if I, if the interaction diminishes, then I won't do this plain and simple. I may end up having like, Hey, it'll be like, Hey, look to my audience. I'll be like, look, man, this is going to be a 10,000 view quota that my audience has to get me. And if they don't get me that 10,000 view quota with the 1000 like, uh, uh, quota, I may not do this. It may end up going to that degree. Cause I might, I don't want to, this shit's time consuming. Uh, please, uh, I apologize for the expletive. I'm trying to eliminate the swearing in my life. Sorry about that. Uh, this is very time consuming. Uh, it's consuming of my energy systems. And quite honestly, I don't think I have to do this. I can find other things that I could put my time into, but I feel like I, this information needs to get out there. This mentality needs to get out there. And um, if you guys can do your part to get it out there, that would be uh, appreciated. Uh, but also, um, I'm just going to let you know that I won't do it if it doesn't. Uh, propagate. There's no reason for me to do, put efforts into places that aren't going to yield a uh, return, uh, return on my investment, on my time investment and whatnot. So if you guys can, share it with your friends, push it on everybody that you can, and get people as involved in this as you can. And if you don't, I'll stop doing it. So that's how it works. Uh, I hope you're all doing well and uh, keep it functional. Peace. the narratives that permeate through every facet of our society cumbersome and found the information on this video helpful, be sure to interact with this YouTube channel and our other social media outlets. Keep in mind that in the modern age, those likes, comments, and shares go a very long way in painting new narratives that may be helpful to the world on multiple levels. My goal is to promote functionality on a general scale, and if that's what you would like to see, the more you engage, the faster we get the world on board with this method of approaching life. If you haven't subscribed to this channel, make sure you do so and hit that notification bell to be notified of future videos. All the best.